Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this From the Field episode, Managing Editor Brian Borman talks with Joan Lurie, CEO of Organomics, in an exploration of change management through a very different lens, organizational ecology. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, the Managing Editor of Change Management Review. Welcome to our podcast. Our guest today is Joan Laurie, the CEO of Organomics, a company she founded in 2008 to assist leaders and organizations to transform themselves and to function at their growing edge. Her work integrates strategy, systems thinking, complexity, and adult development theory. Joan works with executives and leadership teams to help them rewire their thinking to be more systemic and to design and lead complex adaptive change in their organizations. With over 20 years of practice and experience, she has taken both internal corporate as well as consulting roles, helping teams and companies achieve turnaround results, emerging new cultures, operating models, and different organizational systems while simultaneously building their adaptive capacity. Welcome, Joan. Thank you so much, Brian. Joan, when I first was introduced to you, or more uh, accurately, your work, what drew my attention was that you identify as an organizational ecologist, a term I've never heard before. So. Could you tell us what you mean by that? <laughs> I think um, it is a new term um, and it's very emergent. Um, and what I mean by it is, I think it is somebody who applies and practices systemic and complexity principles in organizational systems and looks at organizational systems through an ecological lens, as if organizations were ecological systems. And why I kind of emerged this role or term was, I think that one of the assumptions that I have been playing with and holding for many years is that as practitioners of um, OD and, and leadership and change, I think we are dominated by two paradigms, sort of more, one being more technical and one being more psychological. But I think there's a whole new and different way to make sense of and understand organizations. Not so new, it's been around for a long time, but it hasn't been the dominant paradigm. And so I'm hoping that we can kind of accelerate this in the complex environment we're in. And one of the ideas that I play with and work with a lot Um, is this idea that what defines changing people's behavior is not only who they are, their personality, their styles, their values, but actually the role that they see themselves playing. And that if we keep saying people are, you know, organizational psychologists, and we keep a focus on the change industry or HR focusing on people, then we're going to stay a little bit stuck in the paradigm of focusing on psychology and psychodynamics and people and not actually sidestep to this adjacency, which is also seeing organizations as complex 
ecosystems. So I thought I'll use my own, um, you know, methodology. And what would the role reframe be if we were to say that people were stepping into a role within this paradigm? And that's where I merged this idea of being an organizational ecologist, um, which is looking at organizations through this lens and practicing these principles. Joan, clearly people are part of the ecology. What are some of the other important elements of organizational ecology that you look at? Okay, so I think um, there are a few things there. I think one of the things that I would begin with in terms of what we look at is we would start with an assumption that organizations, as much as they are collections of people with a common purpose and shared goals, um, and activities and tasks to fulfill, organizations are actually also complex networks of roles, role relations, and interaction between parts or between entities. And that those entities or people occupying the roles, um, role to role, get into implicit contracts of relating, patterns of relating between for how they take up their roles in relation to each other. And that's not just two individual people taking up their roles. That would also be like two subsystems or entities, like how the role, how marketing as a subsystem or a function in the ecosystem of the organization sees its role and how it sees its role in relational patterning to say line management. And, um, you know, if you're running a transformation, it would be maybe there's three entities there. There's the transformation team, there's HR function, and then there's line management. How do those three cohorts, role cohorts or subsystems see their roles and how would they interrelate so that you're not just looking at relationships at a person to person level, whether people get on, whether they've got good interpersonal dynamics but you're actually looking at relatedness between roles and between entities. And that is often what is missing when we diagnose organizations and try and make sense of how they're working. So we would want to bring that systemic lens to look at those role dynamics and those implicit contracts or explicit contracts between entities. I think the other piece that we would look at is the context in which the organization is operating and the environment in which it's operating and how it sees itself as an entity in a wider context or environment and the role that it's fulfilling in the e in the wider kind of market ecosystem or context of the wider ecology would be another lens that you would look at um i think i get it and it sounds incredibly complex. What are some of what are some of the tools that you draw on in undertaking this work? Okay, I think one of the first things that um, you really want to do or make sense of is how is the organization as a system functioning? what are the patterns of relations between the different entities? And um, so an example of that would be that 
say there is um, underperformance in an organization and there is maybe poor engagement scores and the executive team with their HR um, advisors have decided that there is a cultural problem and that there's a problem with how people are functioning in the organization. They're not motivated or, um, you know, they're not accountable. So usual sort of attribution okay. um, would be where you begin is to not start with the idea that um, the problem is with people and with their values or with their behaviors. You'd actually start with an assumption that there's something going on in the organizational system, which is um, defining that symptomatic um, outcome that you're getting, which isn't a direct causal link to people, their behavior, their makeup, their values, which is a sort of typical attribution of what's happening. So how do you go and discover what is going on in the system beyond that attribution? One of the ways that you would begin to do that is that you can seek to understand people's mental maps or assumptions that they are holding about their role, either individually or um, how the role of that subsystem or entity is defined. And a, and a very easy way to actually get at that is by doing um, what I call mental maps. So you invite people to draw their map of the system and how they see it. And it's based on this idea that actually every person who joins an organization forms a mental map or a construct of this organization, the system that they're a part of and where they fit into it. And we don't necessarily know that we carry that map, um, but it's like our internal GPS system. If you land in a new city or if you are dropped in the jungle, you will start to orient and sort of have a sense of where you fit in that ecology or in that territory or landscape. And actually organizations are the same. The minute we join an organization, we form this map of where we are, where we're located, where our role fits, how our role relates to other roles and how the system is functioning. And we very quickly, based on those kind of implicit assumptions, we step into the organizational system and through this map, which I kind of talk about as a filter because we don't necessarily know we carry it. Um, we navigate our environment. And that defines our behavior as much as who we are, as much as our values, our personalities, our styles. Actually, if we can learn to make visible to us those maps, those mental constructs that we're running of the system and where we fit and the boundaries that we're drawing in our minds, that is the beginning of uncovering some of the sense making in the organization around how the system is working. So you invite people into drawing those maps and exploring the maps and discovering how they're seeing the system, how they see self in role in that. And then if you do a series of those, Brian, then you are able to connect the dots across those maps. And the next step with that is that you would start to form a set of hypotheses around where there is more or less coherence between the maps that individuals are holding of their role, where it fits and how their role relates and connects to other roles. And so you would start with some mapping and what you're looking for is 
really a coherence point because often where there's noise or conflict or underperformance in an organization, it's not that people don't get on or that they don't buy into the vision, which are some of the sort of attributions we have. It's because there is an incoherence in how they are seeing how the system should work and how others are. And so they're operating from um, different maps that don't kind of connect and relate in the same way. So that would be the next level of making sense because you would look at to what degree those maps are coherent or not, and you'd form a set of hypotheses which would describe the role relational patterning between those individual roles or between entities. And very quickly, what you begin to discover is how those, you know, how those different mental maps are being held in the system. In other words, how people are making sense. And you would look at the sense-making ecology, how those, how that sense-making all fits together. And then you can generate a description and some observations or hypotheses around how the whole system is functioning. One of the things that comes to mind, uh, actually a lot of things come to mind. One that, that jumps out at me right now, um, Teresa Moulton and I are teaching a consulting skills for change practitioners course. And uh, in that course, one of the things that, that we teach is every relationship is built on expectation. Right. Most relationships are based on implicit expectation. And in, inevitably there is disconnect because uh, I expect you to be sitting at your desk eight hours a day and you expect that what I want is quality output work according to the work that I hand you. And if you get it done in four hours, that's great too. Um, so the more we can make expectations of one another explicit, the smoother the, the relationship, the smoother in the case of an organizational system, the smoother the system operates. Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of this work is to look at where can you build coherence and where is the implicit disconnect and incoherence, which is actually presenting sometimes in interpersonal conflict and noise. So I had an example um, working with a client uh, yesterday where I received an email from a client saying that she had had a terrible meeting with um, some of her managers. She felt that under attack, she felt you know, personally bullied and marginalized. And, um, you know, the whole thing was defined as sort of a personal um, attack and, a, and a, the, the problem was sitting with the other, you know, in how they behaved. And actually, when we started to unpack what was going on there, rather than try and address what was the presenting attribution, which was bullying and attack, what we actually uncovered was they had completely different expectations of how each other was supposed to take up their role in that context. And the minute that came to the surface, you could actually see the sigh of relief right on both of their faces, because these two people who really liked each other continued to like each other 
were deeply wounded on both sides because suddenly there was this interpersonal conflict. They could let go of that very rapidly because they realized that actually it was a role to role expectation incoherence. And they were defining the boundaries of role and how the role should be occupied in completely different ways. Their description was very different. But that gave us a very useful domain to kind of redefine and build coherence between those expectations, which had been implicit, as you say. Right? And I think one of the key distinctions I would make that I think I see happen a lot is we can talk about those role, the contracts at a behavioral level, like I expect you to include me, you know, to invite me to meetings, to listen more, to be more respectful. And I think that's one way to do kind of contracting, uh, Brian. But I think another is to do contracting through role description and the boundaries of role and where the roles begin and end and how the roles work together as a kind of ecology to deliver a common set of goals or tasks. And I think that is a different description. And I'm not saying it's an either or, but right. I think often where I see teams go wrong is they do the behavioral contracting expectation of each other, but they actually don't do the role relational contracting in terms of the rules of engagement around how the different roles get occupied. So I can give an example of that or a story if that makes sense, but. Um, yeah, if, if you would, that'd be great. Thank you. Actually, I, I think this would be a useful one. So I have a client who writes books as well. She's a very senior um, CHRO in a company. She's also an author. And um, she she had written a, a, a book and she has uh, her daughter is an artist and an illustrator. And so one day we were having a conversation and she said to me, you know, I can't get my daughter to um, complete the illustrations for my book. And, and so it keeps slowing us down and I can't get the book to the publisher. And I keep asking her when she's going to do it. And she keeps saying, you know, she'll do it soon. And I said to her, well, we've been working with role all along. You know, you don't have to only use this idea of role at work. You could actually use it in your home context. And so I said, what role are you in when you are speaking to your daughter or asking her to give you the illustrations? And of course, she was talking to her daughter in the role of mother and her daughter was responding in the role of daughter, her child. And in that dynamic, it was perfectly fine to be saying to her mom, you know, I'll give you them when I'm ready. <laughs> but if an author was saying to their illustrator in that role to role dynamic, that I need my drawings by X date, it would be completely unacceptable rule of engagement that those drawings were continuously late. And so I said to her, you know, this is the thing when we are in systems, we sometimes are in multiple roles. And we need to be really clear which role we're in and speaking from and engaging from. And that if you reframe the role and you speak from a different role, to someone else, exactly the same person in a different role, you will get a completely different outcome. And so she went home that after that conversation, she spoke from the role of author to her illustrator. And very quickly that changed the whole dynamic because they were in two systems, mother daughter, 
author illustrator and she had they had got confused and i think this happens in organizations as well especially in these new complex organizations that we're in we're no longer are we in one job we're actually in multiple roles in organizations and we step in and out of project teams change transformation teams meetings and in every domain every team every new system every new project we become involved in our role might be different and so people aren't engaging necessarily just with the person they're engaging with that person in role in a context and the more complex our organizations get this is a very liberating tool that people can use to say in this context what role am I in and how do I take up my role in relation to the other people? Because actually we're in a different role to role dynamic. Joan, it, it sounds like for this approach to work, people need to begin to see themselves and those around themselves differently. They need to learn a, a new lens, if you will. How do you teach that? <laughs> I think the very first place to teach that is to introduce this idea and this new assumption that actually what defines our behavior in organizations and in systems more broadly, any system we're in, as much as who we are as people, is the role that we're in in a system. And the way I introduce that is that I say, you know, if you if I think about myself, when I wake up in the morning and maybe the first role I'm in is in role of partner in the system of marriage and I behave in a particular way in that role um, appropriately. Um, and then I go down the hall and engage with my children and I step out of role of parent and I step into role, uh, sorry, out of role of partner into role of parent and I'm engaging now not with my partner but with my children. That context that system that role totally redefines what is appropriate behavior and so i shift my behavior fluidly because i would never behave in the role of parent as i would in the role of partner and if i go to work and i step into role of consultant in different contexts then my behavior changes again because i'd never engage with a client as i would as a parent and so you can be exactly the same person with the same drivers, the same motivations, the same values, but actually every time you step in and out of a system of a, and in and out of a role, um, that system and that role defines behavior. And so this is an idea that everybody can really relate to because we are all take, we are unitary, but we are multiple. And, you know, there's this lovely sense of your own complexity where actually you are not multiple selves or multiple identities, but yourself in multiple roles, managing an ecology of roles. And people really can relate to that as the beginning of, you know, starting to understand this very new mind, um, understanding of how behavior functions. And so if you can bring this lens to organizations and think about the multiple roles that you're in, in organizations, then um, you know you can start to apply these very easy practices around thinking about self in role in system at a point in time, and just that sort of uh, mantra, um, you know, shifts. I don't know what else 
kind of what other word to use for it is, you know, just keep that as your hook, because I think we are so deeply embedded in organizations in this idea that what drives behavior is me. And I've got to get a deep knowledge of self. And, you know, we've got all these diagnostics telling people, this is your personality. These are your styles. You know, this is what you look like on this profile. But actually what this says is you have got a totally different, very simple way of thinking about yourself in a role, in a context, and not just about self in terms of internally what makes you tick, but self externally in the, in the wider system. So I'm understanding all of this. And, and I guess my last question is, when I think of the, the mapping that you were talking about before, when, when I think about changing my lens in, in terms of uh, how I see myself inside the system in relationship to others in my role and so forth, the question is, and, and all that makes sense, and I can see how all of that um, can be applied to move a, a change forward, my question is, how do you bring this to scale in a big organization? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think what, how you bring it to scale is that you work with the top, say, I mean, you can really start this work anywhere. Um, let me say that because organizations as ecologies, everything is interconnected. So it really doesn't have to be linear change starting at the top and flowing down. But obviously, if you want to bring about scale of the work, one of the most helpful places to bring about the scale is in your leadership system. Because if you are able to take leaders from different parts of the organization or the ecosystem and help them, you know, step into this new way of making sense and this new way of understanding, then they can take a leadership role in taking that into their parts of the system. Um, but the first place that we actually begin the, the work is to bring that leadership system together to examine their mental maps. So say there is say 40 leaders in a leadership cohort, you would kind of define the boundary of that extended leadership team. I think most organizations now have an executive team and then an extended leadership team with a sort of, which is a group with a boundary around it. That is a very important subsystem of the ecosystem. And we would begin by introducing them to these systemic frameworks and to this idea of role. And we would invite each one of them to do a map. And so if you could think about it, you've got sort of then 40 or 50 touch points where key leaders in key roles are introduced to discovering their own mental map of the system and how it's working. And as that becomes visible, these maps are not only discoveries, but they're actually change interventions. Because the minute someone is able to see their map and hold it out as object, of course, Brian, what that creates is the possibility for reframing or alternative possibility of seeing and how that connects. And we don't do these maps as diagnostic to say what's wrong 
they're not evaluative. They are description around from a neutral place around how things are working. But if you can imagine, then you've got 50 leaders all holding this sort of idea of how they're seeing the system. It kind of kicks off a dialogue in the organization around role to role relational discussions. And so you already begin this kind of viral discovery that goes on in between because people will go like, you know, um, it will start an alternative conversation at the leadership level. But one of the things that we do very deliberately as well to take it to scale is that we bring that leadership cohort together on a regular basis to discover how they are all seeing the system. So I call these growth edge sessions and, and we would um, regularly say from every eight weeks, we would bring this group together to be on the balcony, to observe the system and to share their hypotheses for how they see the system or the ecology of their organization working. And so that's another place or another ritual for building systemic coherence at the leadership level. And every time we come together, we introduce a new systemic idea or a new idea about complexity. And as we are learning to view the system, which includes them themselves, by the way, because every session they include themselves in the description of how they are taking up their role. We're building into the DNA of the organization an ability for them to be constantly viewing the system where it is at a point in time and discovering the incoherences or where the growth edges are, contracting for those, going back into the system to try something new, coming back to talk about how that worked. So we're actually building in these adaptive practices uh, with the leadership team a cohort every say eight to 12 weeks and so they are then you know after doing those very deliberately and explicitly for a period of time they actually get used to doing that as a matter of course more implicitly and you've got built the scaffold and the framework for them to actually do that adaptive work on an ongoing basis so whenever there's noise or conflict or underperformance or something new they have to do they have learned how to do role-to-role -role contracting and to make their implicit expectations of the system explicit. And they've got a new language and framework for doing that. And so you've actually built that agility into the DNA of the organization, but you've given them a common language framework and scaffold for, for doing that. And you great scale. So Joan, could you give us a little story, an example of how this has worked with one of your clients? Yes, I think that would be helpful to bring it to life. So um, this is a client, they are a big industrials company. They, they um, operate in quite a cyclical um, environment. And when they called me to work with them, one of the challenges was that the leadership team were not collaborating sufficiently. The CEO was frustrated that they weren't operating as a, as a unit. And also he was frustrated because he was trying to take 50 million of cost out of the business. And he felt like his leadership team were not giving him 
um, the cost out. He kept asking for it and not getting what he was needing. And so the starting point was, will you work with our leadership team to build collaboration and to get them to behave better towards each other and work better together? So we began the work by doing a mental map with each executive. And what I discovered through the mental maps um, and the pattern that connected across the maps was that recently, like in the last 12 to 18 months, they had put in a new operating model in the company. And they had actually reframed the role of the business leaders. There were three business units. And until that time, manufacturing each of the business units had different factories and they ran the manufacturing part of the business as well as the front end sales. So it was a sort of end to end business unit. What they had done with the new operating models was model was they had pulled manufacturing out and set it up as a cross business unit functional entity with a head of manufacturing who was going to lead all the factories across the business. So they pulled manufacturing, so to speak, out of the business units. And the role now of the business unit heads was to do much more the sales, the marketing, the business development and the supply delivery. But the, the heads of the manufacturing unit of the SBUs did not want to give up the role of running the factories and the head of manufacturing didn't really want the role of running the factories in some kind of role relational conflict with the heads of the SBUs. And so whilst they had formally put in the operating model and implicitly, uh, sorry, and explicitly said yes to the CEO and the head of strategy and the transformation head, actually they had an implicit contract for the heads of the business units to continue to run manufacturing. But actually what that created was an incoherence or double bind at another level because they were saying yes to the new model, but operating as if they were in the old. And so this discovery, when I made this visible to the CEO and he was saying, this is our new operating model. And I was saying, this is not how your company runs. He said, of course it is. But I explained to him how it was actually working. And once that became visible to him, this implicit contracting of the roles between manufacturing and the business units and where the incoherence was, then we were able to do the work to shift that and to really change the role relations and get the system running coherently with the operating model. But until that time, the CEO did not have visibility of that, even though it was right in front of him. And so what that led to was a completely different intervention. It wasn't a behavioral intervention with the leadership team, but it was a systemic reset of the roles, the relations and putting in place completely new rules of engagement for how the system was going to operate. And within nine months, they had taken two million, 200 million of cost out. And the CEO in retrospect now will say that he now saw his organization in a completely different way. Even though this was right in front of him, he was blinded to it. But the minute it became visible to him, he could intervene to actually get the role dynamics and the ecosystem working the way it should. Right. And he saw how his role was complicit in maintaining the system in the old pattern. And so I think this is the discovery work that you want to do is to see these implicit role relational contracts and then intervene in the system 
to bring about the reset of how the roles work, not only at individual level, but at the subsystem level, like manufacturing to these three uh, business units. Fascinating, Joan. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It was great to talk to you. We hope you've enjoyed this from the field episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of the Change Management Review, and John Laurie. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.